Welcome to the first ever podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Bohm. It's the week of Thanksgiving, and coincidentally, my guest is world-famous chef Graham Elliott. You've seen him on MasterChef, as well as countless other cooking shows. He has a really incredible story. We get into his first experiences with cooking, all the way to his first television experiences. I was really excited to talk to Graham because I know he has a punk rock background. He has a jawbreaker tattoo, for Christ's sake. Uh, we get into all of that and so much more. I hope you enjoy. And uh, also, this is episode 20. So thank you for sticking with me if you're here every week. Time flies. It's terrifying. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. And I hope you have a safe and quiet Thanksgiving this year. Please look out for your family members as well as your own well-being. All right. This is my conversation with Graham Elliott. And this is the first ever podcast. Uh, Graham, thank you so much again for for coming on the show. This is uh, this is really awesome. Also, this is going to air on Thanksgiving week, so that wow. you know, kind of feels fitting, right? It does totally. <laughs> Got some food stuff. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, uh, you, you know, the show's all about first experiences and things like that. But because mm-hmm. it's going to be on Thanksgiving week, um, I'm just curious: is the pressure on in the house for you, or do you ever just say, "Can someone else cook?" No. I- no, like, well, the way that we have it with the family is, you know, Christmas, somebody, uh, one of the families cooks and then Easter, you know, sister-in-law cooks, but I have to do Thanksgiving, but I don't know how it is for you guys. But for me, when I have that pressure, I can't really enjoy making a plate and eating it or anything. It's more like, here's my show. This is what I do. You know, every dish is like, you know, part of the set list. And then once I'm done, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm checked out. I hope you guys enjoy it. Thank you for coming in. <laughs> and then I'll go and <laughs> eat by myself, like on a paper plate in the kitchen. Right. Just do you think that, uh, the, the family members that take over for, for Christmas or, or whatever, do they, do you think there's an immense pressure that they're feeling because they know that you're eating it? Yes. That's what's so funny is I've had friends where I go over and like meet their parents or something and they were like, well, they were going to cook, but they were really nervous. So, you know, we we're just <laughs> ordering takeout and I'm like, I would do anything for homemade fried chicken right now. I don't, uh, I don't need sushi takeout. Like, so I think it's after doing TV and like being a quote unquote judge, people right. are nervous to cook for me, but I'm doubly nervous to cook for them because I feel like they're looking for any slip up. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. What's your, uh, like, what's your just sitting around the house? Like, I just want to eat some, like, what's, what's like your, you know, nonsense food that's just quick and easy to make? Like, what's your favorite yeah. thing for that? I always just like having tomatoes or arugula around things like that and just make like a simple salad. And then if I want, I can throw a piece of salmon or chicken or anything on that. So that's, that's generally go the go-to something you can just kind of toss in a bowl with a bunch of veggies and that makes sense. You know, little lemon olive oil. Yeah. Real simple. It's- doesn't take too much time. Got it. No. Yo, before we get into the first experiences, it's funny. Like, I, I, you know, I know that you come from a very, like, punk rock, hardcore sort of background. So I'd love to just talk that with you. Because I, you know, I just know the bare minimum based off, like, I listened to your conversation with Blake from Jawbreaker, which was really enjoyable. Oh, good. And, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, just, like, scrolling through uh, through your Instagram, I saw a photo of you playing. And, it's, and from the description, it sounded like you played in a hardcore band. So what's, what's the background there? Like, uh, you played in hardcore bands growing up or what? 
Yeah, we, we always say that all chefs are failed rock stars. Like everyone plays <laughs> guitar and, you know, used to be in a band. But, but yeah, that's, that was my, my scene. And I always feel that, you know, I got to a point where music was going to be the career and food the hobby or vice versa. And I, I just, for whatever reason, you know, decided to go the food route and still love to play. But yeah, I was, you know, back in the day, the bands that I was, really into you know i i liked judge and bold and snap cake like all the you know hardcore bands where you have one word <laughs> you know but um but then eventually found this this other genre i guess which was um you know sunny day real estate and hot water music and the promise ring and all of all of that type of stuff and just fell in love with it cuz it's kind of like oh this is what i always really wanted to play but thought that it was you know it wasn't uh you know punk enough or whatever but now i'm in my paul simon acoustic sad phase so that's <laughs> that's what i've been playing now <laughs> it's funny how it comes around like that like my my record collection when I started collecting, you know, it was all like exactly like Snapcase, Earth Crisis, Dead Guy, like all all like the the hardcore stuff, and obviously like then you know Jawbreaker and all the all the yeah punk standards, and then you know and those are like hard to get sought after records. You spend a lot of money on, and then now as I'm approaching forty, I'm like casually just like. I just really, you know, I'm trying to get my my Neil Young collection going, which is like yeah. the easy the easiest records to get. <clears throat> it's 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 funny how that works. I was just listening to Neil. So the way that I get into music, I don't know if, if you're the same thing, or maybe people do with food, where it's like, you know, I'm into plant based. I'm not vegan, but I'm just gonna go all veggie and kind of focus on this stuff. Or I just got back from Italy. I want to be the pizza ninja. I got to do that <laughs> with with bands, and I just got into. The Neil Young phase. And here, here's a funny little side note is I was going to be named Neil, but I got named Graham instead after Graham Nash. Oh, wow. So, so my dad played guitar. He's a, a big guy into music. Um, but with Neil Young, um, I got into the album. I think it came out in 82. Um, I think it's trans. Okay. But it's, it's all computer and he spe he sings through a vocoder and. I guess a ton of Neil Young fans absolutely hate it. And I'm the opposite because I feel like 30 years later, you've got all of, you know, Daft Punk and all these bands that sound just like that album. So it's really, really great because it's so different. And I respect bands that, uh, that kind of say, you know, okay, we went down this route. We can clearly do this, but now I want to put this kind of thing out. Oh, definitely. And what's funny is, my heart always kind of goes out to a lot of the singer songwriters of of before the 80s that had to acclimate to whatever was happening then because like you get johnny cash songs you get uh leonard cohen songs with like weird synthesizer and you're just like <laughs> I, I have to imagine that they they some of them walked into the studio being like i don't understand what i'm being told i have to do but i guess this is how i still still can sell a record and well in exactly or you know that's what i was i was gonna ask you you know do you get to a point where you want to experiment right where it's like okay we're this band but i absolutely love reggae like i'm not ashamed <laughs> of it bob marley makes me smile when i'm in california this is what i want to listen to at the beach but do you say okay we're not going to keep it under this band name, I'm going to do a side project. 
and and name it something else because imagine if Mick Jagger just fell in love with hip hop do you want a Rolling Stones hip hop album definitely not you know what I mean <laughs> yeah. like so I I do I get that because it's the same thing with food right now we you know the hipsterization of of cooking and everyone comes in and it's all about Instagram and proving that you ate at that restaurant by posting a picture right it's like do I do a restaurant now that's just this really crazy artsy looking food even though i don't really want to cook that way anymore but that's what i have to do to stay in business or do you say i don't i don't want to do any of that i'm going to do something different then wow yeah that's a good that's a that's uh that's an interesting point yeah i don't know i i guess it's up to uh how financially comfortable you are i think that's going to play the role in it because you know if you need the money yeah. sometimes we uh we bend over backwards and do things that we're maybe not as comfortable with or that are just the easy road so yeah that's yeah a, that's an interesting point when i was telling a few people a few friends that i was going to be talking to you, everyone was like god i'm so interested in what his you know i guess upbringing or, or whatever and how he found punk and hardcore like uh were you did you find it in while you were living in virginia yeah. So what was interesting is, you know, real quick, I guess, backstory. My dad was in the Navy, traveled the world, been to all 50 states, went to 15 different schools, including three high schools. And I have two older brothers. One, uh, they're half brothers. One, the older one lived back, you know, with his dad and was huge into like metal hair bands, Motley Crue, docking posters, you know, all over the walls. And the brother that I lived with, um, was a skater. We used to listen to, you know, JFA, Agent Orange, Dead Kennedys, um, all of that stuff. And then eventually yeah. got into like The Cure and, and REM and The Smiths and Love and Rockets. So I was exposed to that kind of music. So I guess it's like a lot of people. You have the other, you know, the older brother that you love his record collection. And then that just sets you on on a certain path. So when I moved to Virginia beach, I started getting really into, you know, the punk scene, the hard, the hardcore scene. And I think the key word is scene, you know, because you want to be part of something when you're younger and you can go this route, this route, that route. And I found this, you know, it's a hundred people in a small club and we all have our patches on our, our jackets and no, certain bands and certain albums that are coming out so are way cooler than everybody else that just, you know, listens right. to Nirvana because yep. you don't understand us. So oh, that's awesome. That, that's how I got into it. Have you ever thought about what your life would have been like had you lived with the other brother and <laughs> you went the metal route? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I would, uh, that's interesting. I never really thought of that, but, uh, you know, he's amazing. I love him too, yeah, but yeah, I'm yeah. sure I would have a di different, different, uh, musical, musical sense you know when you say you moved around a bunch were you talking are we talking like when you during your childhood you were in one state for like a month or was it like no it was like it was like two years so it's like from uh san diego or i was born in seattle then san diego then southern maryland then hawaii california philippines back to the state so almost like a majority of the 80s growing up it was living on the ocean, right? Your California, yeah. Hawaii, Philippines. And then when we moved back in 89, it, you know, we, we were never exposed to the pop culture 
of the states, really. Like we were, we, I still skate. My brother runs a skate camp. So we were always skating, but it took like two months to get a board sent from the states to the Philippines. Wow. You know, and yeah. skate videos like were, were, you know, so hard to come by. So when we moved back to the states, it was like we missed the whole Reagan era. Like we missed all of this 80s stuff. We didn't have malls, you know, and, and everything. Wow. Interesting. Have you ever thought about what your life would have been like had you lived with the other brother and <laughs> you went the metal route? <laughs> yeah. You know, I would. Uh, that's interesting. I never really thought of that. But, uh, you know, he's amazing. I love him, too. But I'm sure I would have a di- different different uh, musical musical sense, you know? It's funny. Yeah, I remember like the I was always a metalhead growing up, but I, I remember the day that I got Earth, an Earth Crisis CD and a Cannibal Corpse CD at the same time. And I remember li- listening to both of them back to back and being like, yeah, I'm way more interested in this Earth Crisis record. And then that's that was the split. You know, it was like, I need just oh, yeah. that one record to, to just sway me away. And then, you know, that's when that all started. So, so uh, like firestorm to purify. <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. Street, that's one of the best line, right? Street, street by street, street block, block by block, block. block. makes yep. you just want to get up and like, I don't know. I don't know whose house I'm burning down, but somebody on this block, somebody on this block is going down this week. 100%. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. I just, it's funny. actually just thinking about, you know, the brother who has like all the posters up on the walls or, or things like that it's like that's a lot of taking down the posters and hanging them back up taking down the posters and hanging them back up with with uh with having to move every couple years was that was that tough for you to like sort of solidify yourself into into uh your interests like having to move that often well what's interesting is you can recreate yourself every time so it's okay i'm I'm moving to the South and now I have a cowboy hat and I'm going to fit in. And then it's like, Oh, now I'm in this town. I am all about some, you know, rap and baggy pants and you can, you can do whatever. And I've learned the same way with food where, um, it's all, you know, spontaneous, uh, spontaneous cooking where I feel like this, I'm going to cook that right now. I'm not tied to anything. I'm not from, uh, you know, this part of Japan, I'm not from this part of uh, the States, you know, in the Southwest where I have to cook that food. And I think it's a a blessing and a curse because it's just like music where imagine you're playing this and then tomorrow you're like, well, what if I did the same song, but, you know, changed the chords and, and did this instead? Like, it's really hard for me to ever set something in stone. Because I feel like I'm always moving. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure that's that's just kind of built into you for sure. And it, and it's like a, a, a self-preservation thing, right? Yeah. You never want to get connected to something because you're moving or the person that you love or is your best friend, they're moving because you're always on these little military bases. So you... Uh, like for me, I've learned to connect with people immediately and I love talking to people and hearing everything about them and their stories. But I also know that there's a chance I'll get hurt somehow if I connect too much. So I keep everything at a certain distance. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. That, I, I think that's relatable for a lot of people. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Um, do you remember what your first like favorite food was that you connected with? For me, it's all things seafood. My dad was a diver. And so I'd go with him and spear fishing and snorkeling just always in the water so you know bringing home live lobsters catching an octopus um you know seeing a stingray and being like wow okay how do they cook that oh you take the wings off the sides and 
do it like this. So I've always been so psyched by different foods, you know, like the fact that somebody can eat snails, somebody eats frog legs. I'm like, that is fucking rad. Like, I love that. You know? So I didn't, I wasn't raised with steak and potatoes. Yeah. So it's like the weirder, the better. Um, you know, I, I just feel I was really lucky to, to have that growing up, you know, seeing so many different cultures and how food is the looking glass into cultures and regions and every, everybody does the best with what they have, you know, like nobody wakes up and says, I want to eat pigtails today, or I want to, you know, cook this weird animal. It's like, this is what we have. And, you know, we're going to do the the best with, with what we got. Right. Yeah. Were your folks like, uh, did they cook? Like, are they, are, were they chefs at all or? N- no. Like I always joke that my mom, you know, knows how to like make stroganoff, which is a can of cream of mushroom soup and ground beef and egg noodles. But my dad was the one that would go, you know, to the Middle East. He was constantly gone. He's on a ship. He's on deployments, all that stuff. But he would come back with different spices or he would buy a wok because he was in this part of Asia. And now we're focused on that kind of food or curry or, you know, things like that. So I was, it was really cool to, to have him travel and, and bring back a lot of those things. Did he, did he like catch early on that that was something that you were interested in? Like, was, was that like kind of his way of connecting with you, you think? I, I think so, because um, even in middle school, I took home ec and, and would cook, and then he would get ingredients for me to kind of practice with. And then at Thanksgiving, I was in charge of like the cranberry sauce and stuff like that. But what's really interesting is kind of segueing back to, to the similarities between music and food. Yeah. Um, I'm more of the what do I feel like right now? I'm going to pick up this, uh, you know, like Miles Davis. I'm going into the studio. I have no idea what I'm going to play. I'm just going to pick up my instrument and just go. And then my dad is more of the, I'm going to read music. Uh, it says to hit these keys on the piano to make this kind of sound. And that's what I'm doing. So he cooks that way with recipes and, you know, stuff like that. We're all open the fridge and just make whatever. And he, we don't speak the same language with with that oh how interesting how interesting you ended up going to uh to johnson and wales university right what ci- is that because i saw they have a few locations what city was that in that was in norfolk virginia so it was oh, okay you know basically i always wanted to move away i couldn't we couldn't afford it um to to be like okay go to providence at the main campus and so i never had that college experience it was School was seven to three, and then I worked like three thirty to eleven at the best restaurant in town. So I was always just committed to food. Um, but that's why I ended up taking an externship in Dallas because it was the furthest that I could get away from Virginia, and I wanted to to you know be be out there. Right, right, and, with, and I mean you're that's like also you could not get more away from the ocean. So I'm sure that was a little, <laughs> that could, that could, that, sure that right. added, yeah, that added to a little bit of like a separation from what you were used to, at least growing up, you know, where you're like, well, totally I'm the most landlocked I could possibly be yeah, in Dallas right. right now. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So then when you were, I know when you were 27, there was like a big change for you where you, you became this, you know, very praised, 
uh, chef, like what was, what was the thing that ignited that? Like what, what helped you get into the spotlight like that? So I worked for some, some great chefs and then had the opportunity, um, when I just turned 26 to run my own kitchen, which is all that I ever wanted. Right. It didn't, to me, it's like, it doesn't matter where on the map it is. And this happened to be in a town of 2000 people in the middle of Vermont. And it was a 15 room bed and breakfast or in, but they had the kitchen. And so it was literally me and my wife and one other person that were doing the prep, the cooking, dishwashing, everything. But I got to do whatever food I wanted. And I got Food and Wine's Best New Chef, a lot of press, and then moved to Chicago because there was a chef position at the Peninsula Hotel at their fine dining restaurant. And so I came in and we got four-star reviews, you know, from every every paper and uh, magazine and things. And so that's what really set me on that path, which was award-winning things that that were really important to me at the time. And then eventually moved into like this TV thing, which is a whole nother chapter. Yeah. So yeah. it's just crazy how this all, it just evolves naturally. Sure. Yeah. And what brought you to Vermont? That seems... You know, I mean, obviously, you, you know, I said you, you've you've said you've been in every every state and all that, but what uh, what what landed you in Vermont? That's you know, it's it's so up there, right? Looking at at chef positions that were available, and I saw this one online, and so I flew out, cooked uh, like five courses, and then they offered me the job, and that's when I I just picked up and moved, you know, right to Vermont, and that uh, that opened the door. So it could have been Nebraska. It could have been yeah. Washington. It didn't matter. It was like, you know. So it's funny. Uh, you mentioned, you know, like you cook five, you know, like a five course meal and then, you know, you get the job. So in a way, you know, for lack of a better term, it's like an audition. Right. And it, absolutely. Do you remember the first time where you had to do that and what that experience was, was like? Uh, well, it was it was at that job. Oh, um, that was the one. That was the first one okay. that I had. I had to do that because before that, I was always working for other chefs. So I was the number two in the kitchen. You know, I'm overseeing the menu and the hiring and the training, but it was still another chef that would get all the press and praise. And for me, it's like, I want people to know who I am and be lauded for, for my work instead of someone else. And so that kitchen afforded me that opportunity. Got it. Got it. So what, so what was that like though? Being like, okay, do you, did you decide what you wanted to cook and how did you come up with that decision and, and all of that for the, for the quote unquote audition? Yeah. I just basically said, okay, here's five dishes. It's, it's May and in Vermont. So you have, you know, morels and fiddlehead ferns and wild ramps and quail and all these, these great spring things. I'm going to do, you know, these dishes here. So they weren't signature dishes or anything. It was more just, this is what I want to make. And so I had to go in by myself and prep everything for like 12 hours. And then the next day cook for the owner and his wife and the GM and these other people. Yeah. Kind of, kind of stressful, but it's like, what do I have to lose? You know? Yeah. I, I think probably similar to you and I'm sure whether you've thought about it or not ha coming from punk rock and having that sort of like DIY culture engraved in you, like you, you know, you understand that, that, at the end of the day, you're still going to be working for your, you're thinking about what you want to do and 
knowing that whether this person wants to help you or not, like you're still going to continue your path and someone else will probably come around or, or something like that. Like, do you think that having that sort of punk and hardcore DIY sort of background, like kind of motivated some of the decisions you've made? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like, um, you know, I, I can do anything that I want because if it doesn't work out, it, it, there's always something else I can go and do, you know, and I still feel the same way now having done this for 26 years of my life. It's like, well, if, if the kitchen doesn't work out next year, maybe I'll get into politics. Maybe I'll start a nonprofit. Oh, maybe I'll be a teacher, you know, or I'll do music again. Or so there's certain, you know, I actually, what I want to do right now, but then of course COVID turned the world upside down is, um, like go on tour. And so I'm going to hit 12 cities and I'm going to go and cook at a certain person's house and they'll invite 20 or 30 friends and we cook and drink and talk and music or whatever. And then I like go to the next city and do that. And people pay like admission, like a ticket. That sounds incredibly fun. So with, uh, with the television stuff, like was the, did you do a bunch of little spots on TV before you got your own show or what, how did that plan? No. Well, like, so I did iron chef one episode and then I, um, uh, because I've, I've, you know, got these accolades and awards, uh, top chef wanted me to do it and I wouldn't compete. I was like, you know, maybe five years ago, but I don't, I don't need to compete anymore. And so they said, well, we're doing a show called top chef masters where the winner, you know, it's for charity, but it's, all of these, you know, award-winning chefs. And I was like, okay, I'll do that. And from there, um, Gordon Ramsay, they reached out saying, we're doing a new show, uh, on Fox and we want you to come, you know, see how you, how you work with him and, and these other guys. And I went out and it's the same thing. I have like nothing to lose. I didn't think anything would happen. I fly out to LA and do this like little trial run with cameras and producers. And then the next day they gave me a contract and a week later I was out there filming. And uh, again, I thought it was like a one-off. Okay. This is fun. And then it ended up being 10 seasons and that completely changed my life. And I still feel like if somebody was like, okay, we're going to do this show. I'd be like, absolutely. Like that sounds so like, I love TV, not just being on it, but like the production, like the cameras and the lighting and the, the story and like that stuff. I like amazes me how things work in Hollywood. I just think it's so fun. So I always just take it and I think it's going to be gone tomorrow. And it's been like 10 years now. I guess that's a great, you know, we were talking about earlier about defense mechanisms of, uh, of coping. I feel, you know, I feel like that's one of those good ones where, uh, like who's to say whether it's healthy or not, but you go into a situation being like, this could be gone tomorrow. So I'm just going to enjoy it today and, and not totally. put too and much expectation I mean. yeah. on it. Yeah. But what's funny is there's so many people, not just chefs, but I'm sure you see this because you're out there. Yeah. They, they move to LA. They maybe get a show or do something and then they completely buy into the LA thing. Like I'm going to get, you know, a, a nice BMW. I'm going to go to Nobu Malibu and I'm going to like hang out at, you know, Chateau Marmont, like all those yeah. predictable generic Soho things. house nonsense. It's so, yeah. oh, exactly. But it's like they totally buy into it. And I think what's so great for me is I get to come back to Chicago and it's like, I'm grounded. You know what I mean? Like I'm really centered here because no one pays attention to that shit. Like maybe people would 
stop like a Chicago bear on the street, but nobody, <laughs> nobody bothers, you know, they, it's not a Hollywood yeah. thing. There's no celebs that live in Chicago, you know? So I think that that's, that's fun because like I said, I've seen other people buy into it. And then you know how, how temporary it is. The show's canceled. This other thing happens. There's a new younger person that is, is more exciting. And now you're just like dying because you put your whole life and everything into this, this fake idea. Mm-hmm. And now you're, you're really screwed. I feel like, uh, you'll enjoy this. So, uh, the, the rehearsal space that, my band had for the best part, like the best parts of our time together where like it was all the early stuff. We wrote all of our, you know, the songs that ended up taking us places that we never expected and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. It was like in this big rehearsal space in downtown in like this really gritty area, just super industrial. All that was around us was like, you know, a, a strip club and a gas station. That was like all that was in the stretch. And uh, mm-hmm. it was a very undesirable part of downtown LA. And uh, we had like the top floor, um, cool fire escape, like beautiful view of downtown LA. Just we love mm-hmm. this place. And we paid nothing for it. Like it was like, you know, for, as far as rehearsal spaces, we shared it with a band that like basically just used it for storage. So it was like our spot. Loved it. Blah, blah, blah. What I'm getting at is uh, all of us got evicted a uh, few years ago. Like we all just got a thing saying, uh, sorry, guys, the building was bought. Uh, you, Everyone has to move out. And we were like, what the fuck? And it was bought by Soho House. So no way. Soho House evicted, you know, 100, 200 bands. Uh, so we just love the idea that a, uh, a, a an artist membership fucking dog shit company evicted a bunch of actual like struggling artists for their for just like their cool members only club. And and. My favorite thing is that it's had so many construction delays that years later, it's still not open. And it just makes me so goddamn happy. <laughs> like, oh, you, you know, it's so it's funny you mentioned this is we have Soho House in Chicago now that opened like two years ago. And they reached out to me because, you know, they they want certain people to be members. And so, so they reached out to me and they're like, um, we'd like you or we're inviting you to be a member and you know it's like 2500 a year dues and i was like how about you pay me 5000 and i'll be a member like, <laughs> you yeah. you pay me to show up and hang out there because yeah. you're going to get more than i am like yeah. I, i'm i'm not going to and i've gone over there for like a you a know meeting, a meeting or yeah. something yeah and it's like again just not the people that you would want to be hanging out with <laughs> absolutely absolutely so I, I gotta ask though with with tv do yeah. you remember do you remember with that what the first time it felt like having to like cook on camera was it were you nervous or were you feeling like this is awesome i'm having a good time no i was really nervous because i mean it, the way that it's that it's set up is and i only did two competition shows but the clock is real you know what i mean like it's ticking down and you look behind you and there's eight minutes left. And for me, I'm always nervous that like TV, obviously they're making entertainment. They don't care if you win or any of that stuff, right? They, they're looking at other things. So I wanted to make sure if other chefs are watching me at home that, you know, I'm wiping down my board and I'm sharpening my knives. I'm, I'm chopping this the right way. Even if it made it take longer, I wanted to make sure that it looked right. 
You know what I mean? I didn't want to like drop stuff all over the floor and, you know, burn something in, in the pan and, and not care. So I was worried more about street cred than anything else. But then when I got into the judging scene, you know, that was, that was a lot more fun because I felt I could teach more. And I was always being told I was like the Paula of the judging panel. Like I was too nice and uh, needed to be tougher. And I'm like, I, I'm, like never going to be tough. Like, are you kidding me? And if I do, then it just looks like really bad acting. So you're also, you know, this is also, I know you did shows with Gordon Ramsay where I feel like he kind of has the real estate on that, on that, uh, attitude anyway. So why, why compete, oh, yeah. why, why compete say with that? <laughs> right. I always say like, he's the Beyonce and I'm the backup dancer. <laughs> like I'm not going to try to, to out tough somebody like that. Right. You yeah, know? exactly. Um, it, it, you know, every show, every show needs the, needs the sweetheart. So, you know. Why, yeah. Why and so that's, what's funny is I'm like the tattooed guy that listens to this kind of music and everything, but I'm wearing a bow tie and like, <laughs> you know, being, being super nice to people. Yeah. You just, uh, just, just moments ago, you quoted earth crisis and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I mean. well, what's so funny is like watching comments on Twitter and things on shows. And I always get people commenting like, holy shit, is that a jawbreaker tattoo on that judge? I love that. So. That's really that. cool. Um, and then, like five years ago, you had—you've only done one cookbook so far, right? Yes. And that was the one that came out five years ago, right? Yes. Yeah. So I'm thinking about—I'm thinking of doing either a kids' cookbook or you'll like this. I want to do a food and music cookbook. Okay. Where every chapter, it's like you know, hip hop, country, soul punk and like all the dishes are based on that so like the punk would be like three chords so it's like three ingredients per dish the country one would clearly be you know that southern inspired or like soul would be soul food so just talking about the similarities between food and music oh that's really interesting that's cool i i definitely think you should do that the uh have you ever heard of uh have you ever heard of punk stew what is served to every first uh every hardcore band or punk band on their on their european tours have you ever heard of punk stew no no <laughs> so uh i don't give a fuck what punk or hardcore band you are your first time in europe you definitely dealt with this where like every show has catering you know and it's but it's always like yeah. it, it, you, you get to the show you've loaded in you're tired you're hungry and you maybe you sound checked or something like that and you're just like man i wonder what food is going to be and then you just see the crust punk kid come in with an apron on and just a big pot and you're like oh here we go so it's (laughs) it's this beige uh like very beige um stew that is served with half cooked white rice (laughs) it's the crunchiest not cooked white rice and uh it is like a mix of basically like potatoes onions and um I kind of think it's just potatoes and onions, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. It is the least appetizing <laughs> thing, but you're so hungry at that point that you're just like, I, I, it's fine, whatever. It's vegan, so that's why they're serving it, you know, and that's that's yeah. cool. But like every, I don't care if you're in fucking Leipzig or you're in, uh, <laughs> if you're in uh, uh, Warsaw, it, it doesn't matter. You're getting punk stew. It's, I don't know wh- how the, how the, uh, the recipe made it across all of Europe and how everyone decided this is what every band wants to eat, but it's, it's a thing. So when you said, uh, for having a punk rock page, I was like, I was like, please anything but punk stew teach people how to make that anything, funny. but that, <laughs> and just so you, 
Punk Stew might be the best podcast name ever. <laughs> I'm so gonna like corner that. Oh, you should. You should. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna try one. to look up a, a recipe and I'll send it to you to see if anyone has actually you know, tried to make a recipe for Punk Stew. <laughs> you know what I found that I'm trying to to get an actual copy, but I saw it online is like from like 89 or something. Fugazi did a little pamphlet with like five recipes. Oh, whoa. I was like, holy shit, this is so rat, right? It's like, you know, guy's version of chili or something, you know, and Ian's whatever. And I was like, this is so cool. Oh, that's Like if I could have a copy of that. Yeah. I wonder if it was made for like, if you're on a budget on tour, you know, kind of a thing. Like if that, if that yeah. was sort of the, the inspiration for that. So are you, are you a big Fugazi fan? Definitely. Definitely. See, All that I'm, DC stuff is is massive. Oh, uh, yeah, the Discord thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember Blue Tip and, like, some of those bands oh, that were on that label? And obviously, Rites of Spring, who's, you know... Yeah, Blue Tip had the that... one that everyone goes back to. Had that split with uh, Kerosene 454, and I'm, I, I, yes. I love that band. I love They were great. I saw them play. No so way. In, in, oh, yeah. Outside of DC, we had... Uh, you have Richmond, and you had Twisters. And so... I mean, you you would see so many great bands, and the Richmond scene was awesome at the time. You know, we had uh, Inquisition and Fun Size and Avail, yeah. and then Avail's sister band, Kalara. Oh, I don't know that so, one. So, oh yeah, they're like like super screamy hardcore, oh, but really good. Yeah, I I, uh, I never obviously I never got to see Inquisition, but um, my band toured Canada with Strike Anywhere. A, a bunch of years back and that was that was a blast just because anything thomas the singer does I'm just i'm interested yeah. you know what a what a guy um yeah when, when you were but i'm curious though when you were making that cookbook was that like having to use a whole different kind of your uh, part of your brain or what was that experience for you like yeah well so i don't this is what what's really weird i i play my music and i record it on my phone all the time but i can never I, I never can play the same song twice. So I'll, I'll play something, I'll finger, I'll do whatever, and it sounds great. And then the next day, like, it's not like I forgot it, but I end up doing a different thing. And food's kind of the same. So when I had to actually, like, carve in stone this recipe that is going to be there forever, it, like, absolutely terrified me. It'd be like going in and recording. Yes, yeah, it's like making an uh, album. I, that's what I mean. Yeah. So I would always, if I made an album, I would always go back and say, I should have done this. I don't like my voice on that. What if I, I the lyrics should have been, I can't stand the idea of something so permanent. So it was really, really hard to, to do the recipe parts or decide on the dishes, you know? How long did it take you to put together? Uh, the book, like from getting the advance to, you know, writing it to the photo, like a year and a half. Okay. Okay. It's, it's a long process, especially like the actual publishing part. But it, for me, writing about each dish, I love doing that. Like, here's the idea behind it. And this is what I, you know, thought about and whatever. But I never have written a recipe. I don't have any recipes in my kitchen, anything. It's like, okay, here's the butternut squash bisque. And I will write the description of the dish and then kind of go backwards and be like, well, I guess you roast it for this long and puree it. And like, I don't have things really written out. So it was hard to to do that. I was going to say, I mean, one, I was wondering if you would just like, like if you, if you kind of go in 
not wanting to stick to specifics. Like, I'm just going to go throw stuff together, like just to have an assistant next <laughs> next to you to be like, what's he doing? And then quietly writing down exactly what you're doing. Like, that might be a, yeah. an, an easier way to get it done without having to stress. I had, to, I had to, with my advantage, I had to pay a recipe tester oh, okay. where you send the, the recipes and they have to try them out and then say, well, this didn't work. And I think you said one cup of chicken stock, but it's really five. And it's like, all right, thanks for catching that. Wow. You know? <laughs> like, it's funny. That's but, like, that sounds like the, yeah. the food version of a video game tester, you know, where it's like, that sounds like a really oh, fun yeah. job where it's like, oh, I get, you know, I get to put this puzzle together and eat it. You know, like that seems like a, a fun, a fun job. Like, where do you get hired to become the recipe person? I know, right? Oh, that's awesome. I, I would be. I don't know where you would where you would even get that gig. It's but a weird Craigslist I, uh, post for sure. <laughs> totally. Um, I thought it would be cool, and I presented this to the to the publisher. I'm like, what about instead of recipes, I just write down what's in the dish and just kind of explain what to do. And they were like, are you out of your mind? Like you don't do a cookbook without fucking recipes. That's the whole idea. And I was like, I was just kidding. I was just seeing what you thought. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, well, yeah, the, the last question I like to, I like to ask people, cause I know we could probably talk all day. This is uh this has been really, really fun. Um, is I like to ask people, do you remember what the first experience you had where you felt like you were doing the thing you've been working so hard towards, like what that experience was? Hmm. I would say it was uh, when I moved to do my externship and I was at this restaurant that was um, doing like 500 covers a night and it was just horrible. Like just the food wasn't nice. The, the kitchen was dirty. It was, it was really bad. But down the street was the five star, five diamond, you know, one of the best in the country restaurants. And I begged them to let me go and work. It's called a stage. And I begged so I could do a stage, which is where you work for free for the day and you see what they do. They see what you do. And I loved it because it's like a spotless, sparkling kitchen. Everyone's in their press chef coats and, you know, doing beautiful food. And they offered me a job. And that's, I, you know, I left right after I finished my externship at the bad restaurant and went over there and, uh, that's that's when I think things really click where it's like, yeah, this is going to be my life's work. You know, it's I always say it's not what I do. It's who I am. Like th this is me in the kitchen getting paid to work with fire and knives and incredible ingredients. Like I still pinch myself. I can't believe that things I would do for free. I can pay bills doing. I love that. That's awesome. I, it's funny. I, I was curious if you were going to maybe mention, which I, I forgot to bring up with my little notes here is uh, how you got to cook for. Obama for his 49th birthday. That's yeah, that was, <clears throat> that was so cool. And you want to talk rock star. I mean, the door opens and that guy walks in, you know, and people just lose their mind. Oh, I can only imagine. I mean, he's his uh, presence, just, his presence alone. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like that smile and like just pointing at people and saying hi. It's yeah, it's, it's gold. And then he came in the kitchen and wanted a picture with everyone. And some of the, you know, the, the Latin guys, you know, people were, kind of hiding and he was like i want everyone like get the dishwasher get that dude and so we have a picture of like him with like 20 of us in the kitchen and you know it's like the united nations like people from all over in the photo and it's it's so cool oh that's awesome what was th was that at the white house or where was that no no that was at my restaurant oh shit oh damn yeah so he came in it was him and him and oprah and they uh Fuck. they gave us like an hour heads up and you know secret service came in they checked the phones they were guarding everything and one person 
from the Secret Service had to watch in the kitchen all, you know, us cook and plate things. Right. For security. Oh, my God. So you found out an hour before? Yeah. Fuck. I was expecting yeah. it to be like a, like a, you know, you get a heads up a week and then there's like prep and, you know, security is there every day. And it's like, but wow, to find out an hour before, holy shit. Yeah. I had, I had landed from LA and w- our plane got delayed landing because Air Force One had just landed at O'Hare. And then I had like 15 voicemails and I was like, oh shit, like, could he be coming? Like, and I got it. And all the, the messages were like, he's on his way. You need to get here as soon as you can. And yeah, it was, it was amazing. It's the coolest thing, you know? Damn. Congrats on that. That's super cool. Thank you. Grant, that thank, was so fun. This was, this was a blast. Thank you so much again for your time and, and, you know, heading down to the, to the recording studio to do this with me. I, yeah. I, I know it took a lot of prep, but I, I really do appreciate it. This is really fun. And I'm so stoked to have this for, uh, for the Thanksgiving episode. So this is cool. Yeah. I'm super, I'm psyched too. And I got to ask you the question then what, what are the three desert Island albums? Just in general. Oh my God. In general. Just straight up. Oh fuck. Uh, okay. Uh, Nirvana in utero. Just because I love in utero. Yeah. I saw that. I saw them at American University you on that tour. Got to see them with the breeders opening up and half Japanese. Oh, I'm so jealous. What was that like? Uh, so my brother was a huge Nirvana fan from Bleach and everything on, and I I was more Pearl Jam and. Um, but I, my friend called me the day of the show and said, I have an extra ticket to Nirvana. Do you want to go tonight? And I went and it was so incredible how they were live and just how they sounded and just, you know, the, the stage set of everything. I was like converted. I was like, yes, these, these guys are great. What, and sorry, what venue was that at? This was at American University Bender Arena. Oh, wow. The reason I picked that record, too, is because it, it has the most, like, Nirvana would be a Desert Island band just in general, because you can have Unplugged and you can have Bleach, where it's, like, heavier, more metal, or you have, yeah. you know, like, you, you get kind of the full spectrum. But I feel like in utero in general, you kind of get the full spectrum, because you have a weird, heavy, aggressive song like Tourette's or Milk It, and then you also have... Milk It is so tough. It's my favorite song. <laughs> it's It's... <laughs> The little giggle he does right before the last chorus makes yeah, sense. Like, it, it's, <laughs> yeah, totally. It makes the, those little subtleties are what make music so special, I think. I love that you know that. That's so cool. Um, so, yeah, Nirvana, uh, Nirvana in Utero, I would probably do... Um, um, maybe, maybe Leonard Cohen's Best Of, because... The, the best of record has, it's like kind of the best songs from his first four records, which are untouchable. So I kind of get something from each one of those. Mm-hmm. And then, um, the third one is always the toughest. Third one is always the toughest. Um, I'll probably regret whatever I'm going to say an hour after this conversation. Um, but, I'm going to say, you know, I want to go a different route and like fucking say like a Tribe Called Quest record or something like that. Something completely different from interesting from that. What would what would be yours? Do you have do you know off the top of your head? Um, Sunny Day Real Estate Diary. We did our second and third. Uh, our Sorry. Our third and fourth record with the guy who recorded that record. Brad. Really? So, yeah, for one of the main reasons is because he did that record. Wow. Um, yeah. Michael Jackson. Bad. Oh, nice. 
Nice. I, 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 it's, I love it from smooth criminal to man in the mirror, like, you know, dirty Diana, like it's, it's a great record. And then I think, I mean, I don't know, like, do you do something like what's the story morning glory or Jeff Buckley? You know, I, I love Wilco summer teeth. I think that album's amazing. I'm trying to think of like albums that I always go back to, like even the postal service, like, that postal <laughs> service album. I'm like, I know every word, I know every part. So I don't wow. know, but yeah, I think it's always changing too, based on how you feel. Like, do you go with a Beatles album? Do you go with, you know, misfits oh, are always a good one. Yeah. See classic <laughs> stuff like that is just feels right. You know, it's, yeah. it's, uh, yeah, I feel like there's replacements records I could also put on there, you know, like Tim or something like that. Yeah. Um, it's tough. Um, uh, Oh, this is fun. This is fun. Thank you. <laughs> Seriously, thank you so much. I, yeah. I really, really appreciate your time. This has been a this has been really fun. I, I thank you. Yeah, totally. This was great. So reach out to me anytime. I'd love to to keep chatting. And then yeah, when you guys definitely. are in, in town, uh, let me cook for you. That would be incredible. Yeah, that would be incredible. Hell Punks, yeah, Punk Stew Two Yeah, please make I'm us do a new version for the joke. For the yeah. joke, just bring. bring. <laughs> I'm gonna do you like just, a. a delicious like you know caramelized onion risotto with like crispy <laughs> potato on top so it's like a, a new version all right man, i'm gonna let you go thank you so much hey thanks so much for listening if you enjoyed this podcast please subscribe or follow the show on apple spotify or wherever you choose to listen and if you can spare a moment to give us a rating and review on apple it helps the show gain more visibility and that can make all the difference Thank you, and I'll see you again next week. Yes.